This is a Forwardly podcast. Dateline, Hollywood, California. There are eight million stories in the naked city. Why is it that Tinseltown can't seem to tell those stories worth a damn? Never fear, dear listeners. There is a cure for this condition. Is there a doctor in the house? In fact, there's two. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Hollywood RX. The doctors are incapacitated capacitated yes despite various trials and tribulations on both ends this week your good doctors are pulling through to bring you our sage cinematical advice how are you this week dr d i am dangerously happy to be here wow dangerous (laughs) he says yes outstanding Uh, absolutely i like cinematical by the way Oh, thank you. Uh, no doubt you're feeling that way because we are about to talk about Summer of Soul, Questlove's documentary about the Harlem Cultural Festival of 1969, footage of which sat in a basement for 50 years until now. And I wish I could say something uh, short and pithy about it, but fact of the matter is i'm still recovering from having been blown away by this film uh i agree it takes it takes uh, several days if not longer um uh, my pithy my pithy um short response is just and then we can get right into it is uh, that my eyes were were opened i was i was stunned by it i mean the thing for me, I mean, obviously I like a lot of the music in it, but maybe that's not yeah. so obvious, but um, I felt like this documentary presented what I feel like very, very few music documentaries do, really? which is provide the historical context of the time in which the music came out. Yes. And, so often a music documentary will just, you know, present, you know, hey, then then they came out with this hit and it was a hit. And <laughs> it, it sort of, you know, it, 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 it robs you of understanding why certain songs or pieces of music landed the way they did and had the impact the way they had did. the impact. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and this it, it, was it, 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 consummate. I am completely on board with this. This is going to be another love fest. I were warning everybody right now, but um, it's almost like, you know, when you, you know, in film school or whatever, when you're studying uh, cinema, they always give context. They always go, this is what came before. This is what came after. This is why Sunset Boulevard is important or whatever it might be, what have you. Right. Um, and to get that kind of a, a an understanding of the depth of coverage of the society surrounding the event was just, I mean, look, we always do spoilers. And we always assume that people have, have seen the movie. I've got to stop anybody who is listening to us right now, 
put this on pause and find that movie and see it. Just see it. Even if you think the music isn't your cup of tea, it's completely worth it. It is completely. Absolutely. There's so much to it. There's so many layers. Um, It's going to be all we can do to keep this to a a normal time, I'm sure, because each of us is going to want to dig down on the various things that got us excited. But even just from... From the very beginning, black screen, you know, you hear the voice of a technical person setting the thing up. And then the first person you see, Musa Jackson, was a guy who attended it when he was like six years old or something. Seven years old. Five, I believe. Five. A fully grown man now. And he becomes an anchor throughout the the documentary. We keep coming back to him like a touchstone for his uh, reactions to different uh, parts of it. Um, what, What I didn't know going in becomes kind of apparent pretty quickly is that this wasn't a single event on a single day or a single weekend. This took place over the course of a summer. That's why that's where the title comes from. Right. Um, so I think there were, there were six different um, concerts held mm-hmm. in a park in Harlem. Um, I wish I remembered off the top of my head, the name of it. I just know that the name has changed. So it wouldn't mean that much. Yeah. Today it's Morris Garvey park. I don't remember gotcha. what it was called back in 69 at the time and so we're not even sure which one or several musa jackson attended but um it's just really uh, one one of the things i loved about this documentary was how they they showed the footage to the people who were there in the audience and you got to see them relive their reactions to things they had seen that have been that have been completely unreferenced for how many years that is uh, 60 years not 60 i i actually enjoyed very much uh not even so much the participants the uh the audience participants but the musical acts you know when yes when, uh when when marilyn McCoo and billy davis jr are watching it and it's obvious it's the first time they've seen it in 50 yes. years yes i wanted i wanted i wanted to see everyone's reaction to it absolutely the, the joy on their faces is palpable the 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 import of that moment to them um it's not just that they are remembering it it's that they stay they looked at what i just looked at and we're reacting to it almost at the same time um it's just a tremendous way to connect the viewer with the with the material that uh that they're you know uh exploring that they're exploring is a terrible word but um anyway uh, my my brain is jumbled with all of the happiness the uh, so many things, so many things. This happened at the same time as Woodstock, and you've there there hasn't been a week gone by in the last let's call it fifty years where you haven't heard the word Woodstock. I mean, over and over again. And this mm-hmm. thing was gone; it had yeah. disappeared. And so uh, that that alone is kind of stunning to me. And yeah. how e- e- even with attempts to sell it as the black Woodstock, unquote, that still right. didn't. It, it still didn't because it, uh... it had black. So <laughs> obviously, yeah. I mean, my early on in in watching this and just being kind of overwhelmed by what I was seeing, uh, just the the word glorious just comes to mind. So much joy, so much power, so much community, so much energy. I, I know we're going to be talking about. Uh, Questlove's work as the director but yeah I wanted just 
sort of piggyback on what you just said and say part of what made this such an incredible pleasure to watch was the quality of the footage. Absolutely. Like early videotape. It was like two inches wide. I mean, it's just fabulous. And frankly, the coverage was incredible. Hats off to those cameramen at the time. Yeah. Man, I mean, they had to have maybe six, eight, ten cameras. Four. They had four? They four. did all that with only four. Correct. Oh, One was God. on stage. One was always pointed at the, at the crowd. Yeah. And that's another thing that I liked about this, too, is that um, I find very often in music documentaries when there's concert footage and then they show a clip of the audience. Yeah. I feel like more often than not, the clip of the audience that they show at the time is not congruous to the moment in the song that is being performed at that moment when they use sure. it. And that's sure. not the case here. You see people singing along and moving in time with certain things. And right. It's, it's you like definitely clearly feel their this connection. was like a real time reaction. Yeah. I wonder if there was somebody in a booth somewhere calling those shots. I would be curious about that as well. So that they would have, you know, the perfect synchronicity that they do. Not to take any any uh, kudos away from Questlove and the work that the editors did putting it together. But I wonder if there wasn't a, a seamless connection between all of those things somewhere. See, I just assumed that they just, you know, rolled all the cameras and then... We're going to deal Chopped with footage it later because yeah. it wasn't like live TV where there's an output right. board to, you know, have to monitor. In fact, if there had been, you know, if there had been kind of a live cut of it, it might have been easier to sell than, hey, here's six weeks of concert footage each week in a right. separate, you know, four separate things. All of the, the daunting task of putting all that together uh, combined with the inherent racism and uh, greediness. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, part of part of it is, is that the decisions that get made get made not strictly out of racism, although that might be a factor or the sort of passive racism. But because all studios care about is making money in the end, they're just money making machines. And so if they see a, if they see right. an opportunity to turn a profit, the bigger, the better they will. And yeah. And 1969 was few years shy of the 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 black exploitation wave so still a little early to 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 convince people that there was a black market out there to exploit and then of course you had the woodstock film which you know dominated so. right uh by by dint of the very expression black exploitation it has exploitation in it and it's right. it's not necessarily viewed as um as kind of high cinema certainly it's considered you know it's considered a very down and dirty and this is clearly i mean quite aside from the fact that there's sections with gospel in this thing this whole thing is holy i mean it is it is raised above i mean it makes woodstock look like pigs in the dirt to me (laughs) i mean well, I, it, sorry to say. So I just want to cut in here. Sorry. I, this is not necessarily music that I listen to. I am familiar with the bigger hits, you know, heard it through the grapevine and my girl sure. and these things that broke through. I listen to a lot of music from earlier that is diverse. 
but that particular Motown wasn't something that really landed with me. And this is not only Motown, it's also some gospel. And there's a, there's a wide range of, of types and of pop, music covered and here. And rock and a little bit of jazz. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. They, they, and blues. They covered a lot of things. And that's kind of amazing in, in and of itself. So I was being exposed in some cases for the first time to a lot of these different performers. Uh, for example, I knew some of uh, Sly and the Family Stone songs. I'd never seen any of them. Hmm. I knew Nina Simone's name. I had no idea who she was. It was just sort of in the periphery in the corner. We can get to that more. I don't know why my head is exploding. You take the lead for a minute while I recoup. Uh, no, it's 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 hard to uh, it's hard to 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 pick any one particular performance that's like quote unquote my favorite. Um, I could have maybe done with one less gospel act, just because. That's not a huge genre for me. Right. But to watch Mavis Staples and Mahalia Jackson have yes! this belt off, it was like completely worth it. Unbelievable. Okay. So as long as you picked out that moment, obviously it was also uh, affected me. Uh, so truth be told, I saw this twice, once in a theater and then once at home with my wife. And so I had my own personal reaction sitting in the theater and watching it. And that was, that was the one that left the biggest impression on me hmm. was uh, um, uh, Mavis Staples and uh, Mahalia Jackson. Is that how you pronounce her name? Yeah. Mahalia Jackson. Okay. So I was just stunned by that. And, and as they're going back and forth with the microphone, I kept thinking um, how I wish that they both had microphones so that they wouldn't have to sort of, not compete, but share in a way because sometimes I would miss one of them and I hear the other one. But part of that is kind of the magic. And then That's afterwards, the Mavis talks about that moment, about right. handing the one microphone back and forth. And I went, I was so wrong. I couldn't have been more wrong about how beautiful that was. I That's, was profoundly yeah, a, the, touched. The intimacy of that moment is is part of what makes it. I mean, Absolutely. I got chills watching it. I'm getting chills now talking about it. Um, <laughs> you might want to take but, your temperature. Uh, yeah right you could cut glass with these nipples oh no <laughs> um so anyway so i left the theater the first time and those were the two i i was thinking about mostly and then sat down to watch it again a couple of days later because it does take a few days to recover um just to sort of stop being swept up by it all and in the beginning i hadn't realized the first time i watched it there's a quick cut montage uh in the first few minutes that's yeah, it's 20 seconds long where you essentially see every performer in the thing. You're not hearing them there. It's just their, It's a piece of their performance, but over other music. It might right. be over the first song. Or the I'm Stevie not sure. Song, yeah. And when I saw that montage, I suddenly had a lump in my throat and realized that it wasn't just the two of them with the microphone that had gotten to me, that all of them had gotten to me that the whole thing was. And I just sort of had to brace for impact because I had to go through. Um, and, and then it was much, I was much more open the second time I saw it to um, like appreciating it. It was, it was something that definitely um, yielded uh, a lot of, of uh, results by watching it a second time. I, I, I can't wait to see it uh, a second time. I, I watched it at home. I can only imagine that if I'd seen it in a theater, um, I might have stayed in my seat and sat through the next screening. <laughs> just sat just, through again. Yeah, just like the old days. Right, right, right. Yeah, 
No, they're on. To, they're on to us now. There's no. There's no <laughs> sitting and. There's no sitting and pretending you were there for the next show. Right. Right. Those days. Um, with all the seat assignments and things that are going on here, I can remember my brother and I used to. Uh, we hid in the bathroom between showings of Star Wars that summer. It came out. Ah. And uh, would sneak back in and watch it. You know, four or five times a day. I did that with because... Empire Strikes Back. Uh, oh, uh, did you? Oddly <laughs> enough, yeah. Well, the arguably the better film. Um, uh, in some uh, circles, it is hailed as such. I thought the the structure of this was also really fascinating that they dispensed with chronology. I think. Yeah, I, that's you know I, there are a few a small handful of editorial choices that I, I'm not going to say are flaws or problems, uh, but just I would have preferred a little more some of the montage editing in the beginning uh not so much when they give the little like you know cliff notes cocktail of all the performers who you're about to see right just the historical footage i kind of felt like some of it was cut almost a little too fast in time to the music Mm. some some shots just didn't quite register with the impact that they could have not a not a huge not a huge complaint Right, right. In a way, but, they were they were locked in because of the time that the song would last, and so they had to move through stuff maybe a little more quickly than than was you wanted to absorb it a little bit more before you moved on to the next thing. And I th- and I think part of the reason for that is also because um, a lot of that historical footage of you know life in Harlem and you know riots and whatnot, a lot of that footage looked amazing. It did too. So often, you know, so often, I feel like when people make documentaries, they they go for the, the the easiest grab of footage that they can, and it's usually something that's that looks two or three or four generations away from the original. Uh, the sound is crappy because no one thinks to you know, hey, just boost the treble a little bit, and now we can hear it clearly. Right, right. They do the low low hanging fruit, and they usually don't have any money, so that doesn't help. Yeah, so I don't know if it was uh, restoration of the footage that they used or someone went to the trouble of actually sourcing the the the, the prime material, mm. the first generation material, but there, there there's hardly a clip in there I can think of where I had the thought, as I often do, geez, could you have found a dirtier print <laughs> to maybe pull that clip from? <laughs> no, no, just just fantastic. Can, can 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 there be an award for best archival footage? I, I don't know, but I hope this thing wins. Or best all of them. restoration. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. Um, so many little things. Um, that first song is uh, "Getting to Harlem." I think is what it's called. I'm not sure who sang it. That's bad of me not to know. But he has a lyric in there. That says, uh, you know, it's basically the the song is about going to getting up to Harlem in order to play in this festival. That's what those lyrics are. Right. Um, they may have taken a song they already did and adjusted or whatever, but there's a lyric in there that says, if a taxi won't take me, I'll take the train. And I just kind of marveled at the fact that even now there are issues of taxis taking people places. Right. But that it's baked right into that song that, look, if they won't take me up there in a cab, I'm going to get, I'm going to get there somehow. doesn't matter. I need to be there. Well, you know, you, you touched on one of the other amazing things about this movie is that the connections between the 
issues of 1969 and today was not forced at all. It was very clear that, right. you know, the same problems are, are, are still yeah. here. The same yeah. distrust, the same, but, you know, I, I think they have a clip of, um, of, I think it was Stokely Carmichael who said something like, you know, while, while, while they're shooting our brothers in the back. Right. It's just like right. talking about the cops. Yeah, everybody, because yeah. it's been happening for more than 50 years. Right. I think, but, yeah, it was in, in context of why, why would I run to Vietnam? Why right. would I get involved fighting in a war for, for them right. when they're shooting our brothers in the back right here? It's, it's a really interesting piece of work because even while it is such a celebration, of um, uh, black culture and black experience and so on and so forth. It does also look with a without um, blinking at the society around that event. And the society around that event was was ugly. Now I was four. I probably didn't have much to do with it. Um, but here's here's an interesting thing to me anyway. I thought it was interesting, which is that my mother, who um, is a feminist and is very uh, open to diversity and very plugged in. Let's just call her, you know, they didn't have woke back then, but that's what she would have been essentially. And we were in, we lived in Brooklyn. Um, so a stone's throw essentially effectively. She had no idea this was going on. Some stone. She had no idea this was going on. Oh, I'm sure that word of mouth didn't get, that it was so it was not covered it wasn't there was nothing there was nothing there so she had a lot of these same feelings we're talking about watching it just sort of the but she also had as i do and and maybe you do just just levels of guilt and kind of sadness yeah oh yeah It, it did it in a way without demonizing white society yes yet it was not it did not flinch in presenting the 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 ills of white society at the time Absolutely. it's a fine it's a, it's a very fine line it was between yeah the they, two, but it wasn't like anyone was pointing a finger directly at me but even in the very beginning when i began to realize what like a like a miracle this this event or series of events was and how i had never heard of it before and then i within the first five ten minutes i was thinking oh these people who attended it who saw all of this amazing stuff and then never heard about it again in any kind of way. I said, that must've been heartbreaking, almost like denying that it ever happened. Exactly. And so before we ever got deep into it and started hearing them talk about those actual feelings that they had as participants and even as the performers, can you imagine you've come out there, you're standing in front of tens of thousands of people. Almost every performer they talked to talked about how kind of, stunned they were by the size and sight and and yeah. palpability of that crowd yeah um as as many and, people said never saw that many black people gathered in one place before that wasn't right. a protest right right oh absolutely that, that, that was a celebration mm-hmm. of of blackness yeah as as as, as al sharpton said and he was an interesting figure to have in there I, I think so. I think he summed it up perfectly when he said 1969 was the year the Negro died and black was born. Yes, I have just, that in my notes. It's perfect. Is a perfect. is a as a kind of a incredible 
incredible um, quote. And I mean, people can go through and they can see all the different names of, of um, people who were involved, the performers, you know, B.B. King and on and on. Um, and then even ones you might never have heard of before. Um, and there were some I had never heard of before. Oh, no, I know who I want to talk about. Sorry. Um, in, in Sly and the Family Stones uh, group, the mm -hmm. trumpet player. Oh, yeah. I fell in love with her. I ah. loved her look. I mean, just in general, they all... The costumes across the boards, but particularly in that group, are all hilariously perfectly dated almost to that day. Like you could go, yeah. oh, that must have been the summer of 1969 because they were, oh, yeah. they were so, they were like costumes, but they were actual clothes that I think people were wearing on the street as well. Yeah, no, when, uh, when uh, The Fifth Dimension comes out, I, I immediately flashed on that episode where the Brady Bunch go on TV and sing a song. It's just like, <laughs> wow. Yes. Yes. That's great. Um, uh, so yeah, I just, uh, I have a huge crush on that trumpet player. Um, uh, but everybody on stage and during that song is, is fantastic. And the white drummer, my wife was like, they're starting with a white drummer. Yeah. No, Sly and the Family Stone was known for being uh, a, a boldly integrated band at the time. Not the first, but, definitely the most popular so i have a question about your your, your good lady wife uh -oh. if i may um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i i'm curious because i know that uh she grew up in new york yeah uh, around the same time that i did uh i don't know if she i don't know if she grew up in spanish harlem but uh i know that she was uh in an urban environment yeah and so i'm curious when she watched it if like me when they showed some of those clips of just life. Yeah. Did she get, a, did she kind of get a little nostalgic for the shitty, grimy New York <laughs> that she and I both grew up with? Because like from the first street shot, I was like, Oh my God, that's my childhood right there. That's, um, that's amazing. It's so funny because um, no, she didn't grow up in Spanish Harlem. Here's okay. uh, she grew also grew up in Brooklyn, but um, in, in a rougher neighborhood than I did. Her family had uh, uh, come from Puerto Rico and had ended up moving there rather than the Spanish Harlem. And what one of her primary reactions in the nature of what you're talking about, first of all, she shared, she thought it was glorious as well. And she was amazed and thrilled by listening to everyone and watching everyone and the, the sort of um, environmental footage, you know, the contextual, contextual yeah. footage. She was just pissed that they hadn't lived in Spanish Harlem. She was so mad that her family hadn't moved there. As a result of watching well, this? It, it or may had have she been, always expressed that? It may have been a thought. It's never something she ever expressed to me before. It may have been a thought she has had in the past, but she had felt very isolated where they ended up. Did they end up in a neighborhood of other Puerto Ricans? or No. The thing Latin is, American they ended up in a, in a neighborhood that was largely uh, African-American or black. And she didn't. And... and she had no idea about the festival either. No, she didn't. Absolutely not. But so she grew up feeling feeling isolated and and not a part of a community. And she watched, you know, how beautiful that was, how connected those people seemed to each other. Those people in the documentary. I want to be careful with that phrase. Um, hey, no. And she she definitely um, felt like she would have benefited many times over, not just by being 
in a community that was um, where she felt more uh, at one with, but also where she might very well have heard about this. Yeah. Um, now, she yeah. would have been, you know, nine, something like that. Mm. No, no, she would have only been, sorry, my math is bad. She would have only been six or seven. But there were plenty okay. of six or seven-year-olds that, <laughs> that you saw. Um, she might have been standing right next to Musa Jackson. So she might have, yeah, and dancing like a like a maniac because she loves to uh, she loves to dance. So um, I knew she was. I was sitting in the theater watching it, going, "Oh my god, I got to show this to her. I, she's got to see this. She's going to be blown away." And she was. Um, I had never heard of um, uh, the man who put the whole thing together, Tony Lawrence. Were you familiar with him in any way? Nope, not at all. Never heard of him. Wow, uh, he just what he accomplished was astonishing it was it was nice that they uh that uh, they were able to track down his former assistant yes to give uh insight into to like how he how he could how he could play people yes that he in could various situations that he knew just how what to promise to who to get them mm-hmm. to agree to get the next person to agree and and I mean, it sounded like the whole thing might have almost been a house of cards, like it could have fallen down. But uh, he had. Well, a... it sounds it sounds like without that endorsement from or sponsorship from Maxwell House, it might not have happened. It, it might not have gotten there. Um, and and I think and it was Maxwell House that brought the TV cameras. I think you're right. Um, I think you're right. It was that, Maxwell House. That it was once they got on on board that it became something that was going to be recorded. And presumably they didn't waste much time uh, churning out a commercial that, uh, you know, points out, you know, just how how black Maxwell House is. Yes, Uh, that was a bordering on offensive, um, as I have never heard anything like that before or since from Maxwell House. Now, I'll tell you what was not borderline, but very offensive. Oh, please. me was the the man on the street interviews that white media were doing with people at the concert yes. when the moon landing happened. Oh my god. It was unbelievable <sighs> that it was almost like a sketch. That guy was yeah. the whitest man I've ever seen in the most urban and, circumstance. And and absolutely zero comprehension of why the event in front of him might be important to people right. and why they might not give a shit about right. the accomplishment of a privileged class. Right. And I, I'm, I'm glad that was in, I'm so glad that was in there. I am too. And it seems like one of the very few ways on which that event got on the news or cultural radar, like deeper and it was probably only local news anyway. It wasn't like that was a national oh, yeah. guy. I did. Um, and, and, and in a way, it almost served to make – it almost had the, the – I don't think anyone watching the news or watching that clip at the time saw it and went, oh, man, that white guy is out of touch. They just went, those disconnected, ungrateful, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And, and we're exactly. all celebrating this thing that we all did, you know, that we all feel pride in, but they don't feel the same, same pride we do. Uh, no, they felt right. pride about something real, <laughs> something else. Right. Um, I will never, for the rest of my life, hear about Woodstock without thinking about this event, 
without taking a moment to treasure one of the performers or one of the audience members or one of the uh, you know p people involved in the documentary. Um, and I will never hear about the moon landing in the same way again. Yeah, this movie no, has I, changed me I in agree. that regard. Um, it's 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 definitely I think it definitely makes the compelling case pretty clear that all the attention was on Woodstock, 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 Woodstock. All yeah. you ever hear about 1969 is Woodstock, and it, it's not to say necessarily that this that Woodstock pales in comparison to this festival, but between that news clip and the 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 machine that was behind promoting Woodstock at the time, it's like no wonder, no wonder that festival got lost to history, and no wonder no one's ever heard of it. Right, until right. Until now, a couple more things I wanted to touch on while I'm thinking of them. One was just seeing Stevie Wonder when he was so young. I mean, with a lot of these performers, I'd never seen them this young. Um, but also yeah. just the, the environment itself was so far beyond a regular concert because it was such a celebration that the way they were plugged in as performers is not like anything I'd seen before. Um, watching Stevie Wonder play drums blew my mind. Well, uh, Questlove has said, uh, has said in interviews that he, he realized that, that's, that that was the, the, the cold opening shocker <laughs> of all time because right. no one expects to see Stevie right, right. jump up and play drums right I was even sitting in the theater going wait a minute is that Stevie Wonder or is that just a... and then I thought what a racist that you can't tell who that is and then I went oh my god that is him because they don't actually show him sit down at the drums they show him get up and walk towards the back of the stage um, and then suddenly he's on and the then drums. suddenly he's yeah. on the drums so I'd missed that one moment of transition um, he and his handler were really interesting together there's there's that moment where he's walking back to the drums and the guy has an umbrella over him keeping right. him out of the rain and then there's another moment later in the middle of the concert where stevie is singing and he's leaning on he starts to lean way over and he's just enjoying himself leaning over i think he's just into yeah. the moment yeah, yeah, but the yeah, guy yeah, comes yeah. back and kind of eases him upright again like like, yeah. I think he can handle sitting up straight when he wants to, but maybe he wasn't on mic the way he needed to be or something. And uh, that could be, you know, maybe that's all I can think of. And then there's a coda at the end with the two of them, which actually borders on it uncomfortable, but is really wonderful. I don't know if you stayed to see that very last thing. It's a post credit, a post or a mid credit clip. So now when you go back, no. you'll have to watch. You'll have to watch. We'll yep. circle back. Can't I want to hear wait. from you about that. I, I thought I had seen all the credits as I got as far as the song credits and the special thanks. Well, I don't want to give it away now in case people didn't. So I'll I'll talk to you off air and, and we'll clear up whether or not you saw it. But it's he and okay. that guy and it's just the two of them. And it's like not a performance. It's them interacting in front of the audience, but not singing. Does that not ring a bell? Jeez. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, man. So that that sort of finishes out the triptych with the three of them. The two of them. Two of them. I was amazed by that. And Nina Simone is sort of phenomenal. I mean, I don't even know where to put her inside me. She's so in a class of her own. And um, the effect that she had on other people in the audience, you were talking about the cutting back and forth between the audience and the performer. I mean, I, I dearly hope those aren't random shots that they just dropped in the way you were talking about before. 
Um, I, I dearly hope that what I was seeing was the true reaction. Oh, no, I think it was. I think it, in most most other music documentaries, yeah. uh, those clip those those cutaways to the audience do feel incongruous. Yeah. But not not here. I can't think of a single one that felt but she was she was like she was amazing i just i can't and the only thing i would say about her is that uh the only sort of complaint i would have with her is that and i'm even afraid to say the words right now okay everyone hang on to your socks is she has a song one of her songs gets so stuck in my head i'm going to avoid saying what it is so they don't i would go for days and it's you gotta say what it is now all right for fear of this I'm, now I'm, being I'm stuck in, in my head in advance. Yeah. <laughs> for now at the risk of it being stuck in my head now for days uh young gifted and black well, of course that was the, of course it was keeps yeah. getting stuck in my head so that it's an earworm for me so uh now that i've said it out loud i'll be i'll be um You'll be haunted by it <laughs> for another couple of days. Yeah. But um, I just, just a glory. I just was uh, amazed by her. An interesting little tidbit. Yeah. The one performer who requested to be in this festival mm. and was rejected by the organizers. Who? Jimi Hendrix. Oh my God! It's hard to believe, isn't it? Wow. Yep. And the thing is, you know, so the Woodstock movie, yeah, uh, they did a, a restoration a few years ago and expanded it, and they used uh, or they pulled some camera angles that they previously didn't use because the original film that was the only one in circulation for 40 some odd years. Yeah. All the footage of Hendrix literally had him from the neck up for some inexplicable reason. Like, sure. It's only, you know, the greatest guitar player. Right. Right. Why, why look at his hands? Time. So why? Yeah, exactly. Um, just inexplicable. And, and that's the other thing too, is, you know, especially from that time period, concert documentaries look like shit. Yeah, they're they're filmed on sixteen millimeter camera. They're real grainy. The lights go out, and you see, you know, like that foggy orange haze in where right. it's supposed to be black. Right, and right. None of that here. This is another reason why this this popped the way it did. Right, I think. I mean, they also they, shot the quality of the footage was amazing. Exclusively during the day, so they had they were using the the sun right. to their best advantage the whole time. And it, it and it's funny because. I think with one exception, there was a little rain, but for the most part, they had great weather. You couldn't really, you didn't miss artificial lights. Right. Right. In, in, in the, the, any of the shots of the performers. Absolutely not. It all looked, it all looked flawlessly lit, which is what the sun is good at. Um, so, uh, two, two other, two other sort of historical things, stepping away from the performers themselves. And I can't say enough good things about, about everybody there was a talking head and i wasn't clear if she was part of the audience or if she was just a person who was plugged in at the time um okay uh i think her name was charlene hunter galt yeah yeah 
Um, and they did a little side story about her and her experiences with uh, during segregation in college. Mm-hmm. I think is what it was. And I just found that really, really powerful. And I loved at one point that, you know, she was talking about how the the other uh, girls in the dormitory, uh, she was on the on the ground floor that they would stamp on their floor, which was her ceiling, so that there would just be mm-hmm. this noise pounding, and that uh, she just t- t- uh, would just turn and uh, and raise the volume on her Nina Simone. Yeah, and I and I loved I loved how that connected her to what was you know, that portion of the film. And similarly, I was really kind of blown away by uh, Jesse Jackson, who spoke at my high school. Ah. Um, when I was a junior or a senior, I was in an inner city school and he was, I think that was the election that he ran for president. And I, I wish I could remember more about his visit, but I do remember, I do remember that he came in any case. Him was he wearing the groovy beads? And, and <laughs> no, he wasn't. That he wore I mean, this? that was the other thing is that even he, who you have in your head in a three-piece suit, basically, is wearing. You know, he looks like he's come right out of the Partridge Family, like uh, you know, um, the his, Mod Squad or the Mod Squad. Thank you, much better, much better than me. His story about I was just about to about MLK yeah. is I had never know, heard the story before that that he was mid-sentence when he was shot right and and you know talking with the musician on top of it but um that was a fantastic piece of filmmaking it really was more hats off to Questlove and the editing because when he when he you know talks about it and then he he starts quoting king and then pow and just and it cut to black and then yeah body on the ground it was just like yeah um why, it was, why is that like the like like the best presentation i've seen of that moment absolutely i all, have in my whole life i've never felt as connected to i don't think to a historical event i didn't witness if you follow mm. what i'm saying and I and did. just the the import they set up so clearly in the beginning the import of you know like what 69 was as a year based on the losses that the black community had experienced leading up to it in Mm -hmm. in 68, essentially. Um, And not just of their black leaders, but they were also including um, JFK. The sympathetic white leaders. Yeah. 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 Just really extraordinary. Um, I guess, I guess the last thing I really feel like I need to say about it, because I've been going on and on is that um, I was just, I was just amazed at the work that uh, Questlove did here, pulling these elements together, not just the archival stuff, but as we've already discussed, the con- contextual stuff um, to do the the live interviews, both with with um, audience members and the performers. It's easy enough to track down performers, tracking down those audience members and then finding people in there who are who uh, come alive when they talk about it. And, and sort of yeah. getting those, I don't want to call it a performance, but you have to draw that out of somebody. Reactions. Reactions, well, yeah, yeah. These reactions. sort of honest reactions out of people is just uh, is just fantastic. And I love the way um, he ends it by coming back to Musa Jackson and, and he takes a moment to sort of process how validating it is to see this footage again 
after yeah. all these years that it had been something that had been sort of wiped from existence, but was such a vivid memory for him and the kind of the joy and the, the happiness at being kind of confirmed uh, was really beautiful. I love that ending. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, uh, yeah, it was, it was perfectly constructed in that sense. I was curious as I was watching it, if the performances were being shown chronologically, because I guess the, and this is another thing that is like, well, I kind of wish they had made, you know, like put in a couple of bits of information or made something a little bit clearer to people. Um, but each weekend apparently had a theme. Yeah, that makes sense. That's you, you, you sort of see it written out on one of the production notes that they show, mm. but it's like up in the corner. It's and it's like if you didn't, it, it wasn't the, what they were focusing on in that shot. So unless you looked for it, you wouldn't have necessarily seen it. Right. I think it was in like an, it was in, oh, it was in a, it was a vintage ad, I think. Right. Um. But uh, yeah, so I was kind of curious if it was following that order because at some point uh, in the section on the moon landing, um, we jump back to Mavis Staples and the Staples singers. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I just remember thinking, oh, this is the first a chronological choice that's ob that is obvious or at least it just it felt like oh now we're going back to a previous performance to comment on what happened two or three weeks after that performance right right it also and you've seen it twice so you can tell me if this is something i just missed but it didn't seem clear to me for a good part of the movie uh -huh. that this was actually the third harlem cultural festival it was not a one-off. Oh. And I don't know if the first two also contain music acts or not. Oh. Somewhere, I, 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 there's a reference to it being the third annual Harlem Cultural Festival. So oh, wait, okay. Huh? What? So the others weren't music or just not as big or... Or they weren't filmed. True. But I mean, just, just, to, just to know that it wasn't... That it wasn't like Woodstock, which was designed to be a one-off. Right, right. From the onset. And that, that there was a, a precedent for this, this gathering, this festival. I actually have a follow-up question for you for something that we've now long passed. Oh, boy. From your sources, did you um, find out why they passed on... <laughs> On uh, Jimi Hendrix was his name. Yes, thank you. No, I do not. I it's I haven't. It was years ago that I read um, a couple of Hendrix biographies, and I don't recall. I don't recall why he had at that point. He had ditched the two white band members who made up the experience, the Jimi Hendrix experience, right, and was now playing with. Um, with uh, Billy Cox and Buddy Miles, two black musicians doing a whole different set of music. Uh, I, I, I don't remember. I, I, I don't remember off the top of my head why, why he was rejected, but it's funny because he did perform at Woodstock, obviously. Right. So. Right. 
Now, do you think that this cultural festival would have gone unheard of for as long as it has if he'd been there? I say no. That's possible, but there were other multi-act festivals that he performed in that were filmed that have also oh kind of faded. faded in the shadow of Woodstock. Woodstock for some reason was the for lack of a better term, that was the gold standard of music concert documentaries. And even though there were quite a number that came afterwards and were a lot shorter, for some reason, that's the one that everyone yeah. okay everyone thinks of. So uh, I, I suppose it's possible, but not necessarily. That would be my answer. <laughs> okay. I think that's a better educated answer than I'm capable of providing. Um, um, I, I, I think I'm done with... Uh, with the the only the only thing I have left to say is yeah. I really hope that there's an extended cut of this because I I could have easily had more yeah I could have had a little behind the music story about every act up there not just the three or four that were there it's so it's so funny that you say that because while I was watching it more the second time than the first time while I was watching it I thought this could have been a series this maybe should have been a series. So that you could have gotten each weekend was its own, um, its own episode, with the concert footage and then the contextual footage and the interviews that would go with it. I could easily have seen it being six hours. Yeah, I, I or yeah, you know, or even his uh, his apparent rough cut was three and a half. Right, like most rough cuts are. Right, but um, the only thing I that I I have not been able to reconcile in what I've read about it is that unless I'm misremembering, I think he said that there was a total of 44 hours of yeah. footage. But I'm thinking, well, I mean, you don't need to be a, a math wizard to do the math and realize six weekends during daylight hours in the summer is more than 40 hours. Right, right. So, so presumably not everything was filmed. Oh, okay. Or what happened? Or usable, I, I, or it, yeah. It's yeah. That's that's just like a little thing in the back of my head. That's yeah. Probably gonna stick I just I I, I I I left feeling like I wanted more. Oh yeah. You know, definitely oh, yeah. that I could have used more. Obviously, I went back again. Was my only way to get it. At one point, I had to pause it, and it said thirty-five minutes left, and I was like, "Oh no." <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that. Not just 35 minutes. Yeah, usually I groan. Right. You know, I see the I remaining actually, time on something and I'm like, ugh. I do everything I can when I pause something not to look at that because my not brain will start They're going, for you. you know, start trying to figure uh, it out. Unfortunately, now my eye immediately goes to that red line. Right, yeah. You demonstrates your progress. Yeah. Um, so at the beginning, I encouraged people to pause if they hadn't seen it and to to go out and see it immediately before they come back and hear us talk. Now what I want to say is, if you have seen it, not only watch it again, but post about it on Facebook. Get it out into the world. Tell as many people as you know to see this movie so that yeah. it can be consumed by everyone that could have and should have and would have seen it. 
it needs to be yeah. it needs to be on it needs to be on TV in a way that would make it even more accessible. I guess it is on TV. I'm an old man. If you're streaming it, it's on TV, but um you should try to get your, you know, 80-year-old parents to stream something and you'll see. I guess that I guess that phrase is going to go out of style. I think so too. On TV. I think I am out of style. Um so well, here's my question for you. Do you have any trailers okay. that you've seen? that you would like to talk about. Is it time for trailer trash talk? I believe it is. Very good. Away we go. Well, I have seen trailers for, I saw a trailer for the green Knight. Yeah. Which is already on my radar or something I want to see. And it, has been emboldened by yes. the trailer. It is so lush and just sumptuous. Yeah, it's like a meal. It's incredible. Yeah. I can't wait. And unfortunately, <laughs> I saw the trailer for Suicide Squad. Oh, you did. Yeah. And it and it leaves me with just one question. <laughs> yeah. How many freaking times are they going to make this damn movie? <laughs> this is like the third one? Like it's the second one called just called Suicide Squad. Like, guys, move on. Yeah, um, that's so three, funny. Three times you can't get it right. Warner Brothers does not know how to stop. How to stop? But they also don't know. Like, they want to be Marvel. They have they have the DC characters, and they want to be able to produce you know something as epic as what Marvel has managed to produce with a twenty plus film you know uh, connective tissues thing. And they just can't get it right. They just don't. I mean, the closest they came was with was with Nolan, right? Um, and then and then Joker. Well, the reason for that is simple, as uh, as many people on one side of the comic book debate will tell you. Yeah. Well, if you're stuck with the DC universe, of course you're going to be inferior to Uh, that's apparent to me when I was six years old. Oh my God. That's so funny. Cause I'm really more of a DC guy than I am a Marvel guy, but, I'm, ah! but so, um, maybe that's why I liked, uh, the Joker and, and, uh, and Nolan's Batman stuff more, but, um, I, I, I love them too. Oh, absolutely. I know you do, but, but I mean, I, I don't know how many Superman movies have come out in the last 10 years. All of them. Yeah. But uh, it, do, anyway. it doesn't matter. Um, and one other trailer I saw. Yeah, what? Which I I, 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 oh, I could almost do an episode just on this trailer. Oh, no! And, and the promise of the royal mess that it <laughs> most likely is. Yes! Do you know what I'm talking no, about? No, but I'm dying. Dune! Oh, no, yes. Ah, you poor son of a bitch, Denis Villeneuve. Oh, you fell for it. Oh, Uh, my God. It's going to take you down, too. No one's going to get that thing right. No one's going to care. No one's going to go and see this movie. I don't. When I heard it was happening, I thought, why is this going on? Why? And you know what it you know what I think it is? This is just me riffing here. I have no real idea. It's um, it's. Uh, Damien Chazelle, right? Or I'm probably not. No, it's Dennis Villeneuve. (gasps) 
the guy who did Blade Runner 2049. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I knew it was one of these two. Arrival. One of these two who I had a lot of interest in and I thought they showed a lot of promise. And then when I saw that they were making this, I was like, oh, no. Um, I wonder if that wasn't um, a childhood. This is a this is the. Oh, probably. This is the, yeah. you know, the big personal movie that you get enough power, you know. To uh, no doubt to make. And it's just a it's such a misbegotten idea. Listen, I've never been a Dune guy, and and maybe we'll get letters. We should be lucky get letters. Who could be? But as far as the movie is concerned, and I I never was able to penetrate the book, so I don't know what to say there. But I do think well, it it will lay an egg. Yeah, I mean, you know, I the, the, the it has been it. I'm sure it was said about Lord of the Rings for years. Yes, that it was impossible to make that into a live action film mm-hmm. that would resonate and convey everything with that that's in the book right and obviously peter jackson did that and maybe they're thinking that's going to happen here too but well unless they think so one of the ways peter jackson did it was it broke he broke it down into four yes but another thing in his favor is that at its core the story of lord of the rings is relatively simple yeah Dune is freaking complicated. You know, when David Lynch's movie came out, they actually gave people a sheet of paper. Yeah. When they bought their tickets to kind of break down for them all the all the necessary backstory and context you needed just to follow just what was to follow going the on. Movie. The That's amazing. I didn't so, know that. I indicator didn't... number one. Indicator number two. Then what was it in the 90s, the early 2000s? They made a TV movie version that's like four or five hours long. That thing sucked too. (laughs) People don't, like, I don't understand when people are going to realize this story is not going to work. It doesn't, it doesn't belong on film. And Timothy Chalamet looks terrible in it. It's, I, 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 I'm, I'm laughing in advance of this thing tanking. That's fantastic. I can remember seeing, uh, first of all, when I bought my ticket, I did not get any piece of paper that explained jack shit. And I saw it, uh, in Times Square on like Broadway and 47th. There was a theater there. I can remember I sat in the balcony and there was a trailer Mm. for Star Wars oddly and i wished i was seeing star wars um that's uh <laughs> that's a good one yeah i know that had been on my radar as a a train wreck that was coming down the tracks but i hadn't yep. seen the trailer yet so thank you for bringing Can't that wait. to us now here's the thing we need to get to today's contest uh, yes we do but first i want to stop and uh and thank everyone for listening of course um but to invite you to join the, our conversation, find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, write us at hwoodrx at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think about what we think and about what we say. We'd like to hear what you think about things we didn't say. Tell us, give us a suggestion. Here's what we want to hear you talk about. We'd love to hear you in any of these forums. Um, but right now it is time for the weekly contest. Go, Dr. G. This week's question is as follows. The subtitle of Summer of Soul is or when the revolution was not televised, which is a reference to a Gil Scott Heron song. 
There's another Gil Scott Heron song that is referenced in Summer of Soul and has been brought up previously on this show. Oh, wow. Trivia question is, what is the other Gil Scott Heron song? Doctor, you have outdone yourself. Wow. Okay. I'll even I'll even I'll even give a, I'll even give a major hint. Okay. A major clue. It's in our episode about the movie First Man. Speaking of Damien Giselle. That Whoa, yes. should be a giveaway. That should be a giveaway. <laughs> there you have it, dear listeners. You should tweet your answers to HRX Contest. We'll see you in the winner's circle. <laughs> so on our way out the door, I want to remind everybody that we are proud members of the Forwardly Podcasting Network. Go check them out. Listen to some of the other shows. It's an awesome group, and we're so delighted to be part of it. For now, and until next time, the doctors are out. When the office for a young mechanic can be a panic with just a good looking can. And any barmaid can be a star maid if she dances with or without a fan. Hooray for Hollywood. Play it terrific if you're even good. Oh, to be an actor, be Mrs. Factor, you make your kisser good. Go out to try that you may be found. Colin. We're the sibling duo from the comedy podcast, Be Watch, Rewatch, where we 
B, watching. Oh God, you're such a nerd. I see what you did there though, it was pretty good. <laughs> well, it's where we rewatch the greatest badass and bewildering TV and movies that help shape all of our lives. That means all of our lives, Busters, even you, the listeners. So come join us for the watch party. Cadence, it's a podcast. Okay, well, it's a watch party for your ear holes. Ear holes watch party. Hope to see you guys sit <laughs> soon there. Bye. <laughs>